1 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week was uh, Easter, and uh, I, I was asked uh, just briefly and just kind of in passing last week, um, thinking because it was Easter that we might be doing uh, the Lord's Supper, just uh, when we, during what part of the service we were going to do the Lord's Supper. And I said, I normally don't do the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday. And um, there's a lot of opinions out there on when to do it and all those different types of things. But I normally don't do it on Easter Sunday for one very important reason. And that is because the Lord's Supper is a serious matter. And it is not to be taken lightheartedly. It is supposed to be sincere. And it's actually biblically given, we are given a warning about taking it inappropriately. And Easter Sunday is one of the most heavily attended Sundays during the year. And it scares me to do the Lord's Supper with that many people here. Because I don't know where they are in their walk with Christ. It's not my place to judge that. But I do know what Scripture warns us about taking the Lord's Supper in a way that's not right. And so I normally don't do it on heavily attended Sundays. It's When we do that, it's going to be just a, a regular Sunday. But I've been, uh, this has actually been on my mind for a while, um, to, to do the Lord's Supper sometime in the month of April. And, uh, and it's an important thing for us to do. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper here, it is the basis of our worship time. I will not be preaching a message and then throwing in the Lord's Supper at the end. I never do that. I always preach on the Lord's Supper and then we partake of the Lord's Supper because it is rich in meaning, both theologically and practically, and we need to understand some things before we partake of it. And so this morning... We are going to partake of the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. Now, for, for some people, what we're going to talk about today is nothing more than a reminder. It, it's things that you've heard before, heard in the past. Um, it's not, nothing that we're going to share this morning is really going to be that new to you. It's just simply going to be a reminder for you. For others of you, it may be an actual uh, a time to learn something. Maybe there's something that's going to be shared uh, that you weren't aware of before, so it could be a time of learning. Uh, but I hope for all of us it's a time of challenge and a time to reflect on, on where we are in our walk with Christ and then to, that this would, this would be an adequate thing to partake of that would um, just draw us closer to Him and to remind us of who we are in Christ and why we meet to worship Him every week. And, and, and there's really it's a simple act. You know, a lot's been made of the Lord's Supper, but it really is a simple act. It's really basically where you believers partake of unleavened bread representing the broken body of Christ, and then to take the fruit of the vine that represents the blood of Christ, and we take those things as a memorial and a reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and so it's an important act for us, but one that has often forgotten the deep spiritual significance to it. I, I have shared this before, but there was a church in a community in which I formerly lived that they just would stick the Lord's Supper stuff out at the back of their church, and then on the way out, if as you wanted to, you just took on, on your own at any time. And, and to me, throwing it in like that, it really starts 
to lose its significance, but it's also dangerous, and we're going to see that in just a little while. And so it really can become just something that's a tradition, something we do that's not really important to us or of great value to us. And so I want us to seek to understand some things about why we do that. And so this morning, I want to just share with you a couple things about the Lord's Supper before we partake um, that I hope will have deep uh, heartfelt meaning to you and to be a true act of worship. So if you have your Bibles, open them and stand with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read some scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 23. Now Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he is correcting all kinds of issues in that church. The church at Corinth had major issues in lots of different areas. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to begin to address the way they partook of the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that the church in Corinth was doing, and it was pretty common at the beginning of the church, was the Lord's Supper was, was known as a love feast, and it was incorporated into what we might consider um, like a fifth Sunday fellowship meal. Okay, where everybody brought food and, and drink and they would eat and then they would partake of this Lord's Supper. And, and that was pretty common. And that's what they were doing in the church in Corinth, but with a major issue. The church in Corinth had basically decided that if you didn't bring anything with you, you couldn't eat. And so people that had nothing were coming in and watching as everyone else who had was eating and drinking and Paul corrects them on this teaching. And so he, first of all, corrects how they act in, when they partake of the Lord's Supper. And then in what we're going to read is where he actually gives them specific instructions on how to partake of the Lord's Supper. And it starts in verse 23. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is where we get into the warning that I was telling you about. Verse 28, let a person first examine himself, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we take a few moments just to examine it before we partake of this special time, uh, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to, uh, to influence our hearts and our lives today, and, and that, Father, we'd be forever changed because we've come face to face with you through your word. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts today, and that your spirit would do uh, the work that you intend for him to do in our hearts and our lives, and you'd receive the glory for it is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul begins to address, he's already addressed their factions that they had in the church and the different things that were going on with that and the fact that they were eating and drinking in front of others who didn't have anything. He corrects them on that, and then he basically says, this is how you do this. 
And, and it's simple. It, I mean, it's really just a few verses long on instruction. And, and so, but in these few verses, there are a couple things specifically that I want to point out to you. The first thing that Paul addresses to the church in Corinth is he gives them the meaning. He tells them the meaning of the Lord's Supper and what it's about. And when he tells them the meaning, he does this in verses 24 through 26, he gives them a couple different meanings. The first one is he tells them that the Lord's Supper is a memorial. He tells them that the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Look in verse 24 and 25. He says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so he's telling them and reminding them that when we partake and when they partook and when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are doing so as a memorial. And there are a couple different things specifically that we're remembering when we do this. First of all, he says we take the bread and it represents the broken body of Christ. That's what he says. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we take the Lord's Supper bread, we're not just eating a, a cracker or we're not just eating um, a wafer. We're not just eating some bread without leaven in it. No, we are remembering the broken body of Jesus Christ that he allowed himself to go through on your behalf. I think sometimes we as Christians, especially in America, there was a song years ago, and I can't remember the name of it, but there was a statement that was made somewhere in the song, and it basically said that in America today we believe in a plastic Jesus. And what they meant by that is we th tend to think of Jesus as always clean, always wearing white and all those different types of things. But Jesus, when he gave himself for us, was a broken Jesus. Matter of fact, Scripture says he was broken so bad he was basically unrecognizable. We, we need to remember that Jesus' body, we need to remember everything that Jesus went through, not just the crucifixion. We, we need to remember that Jesus was beaten for you. Jesus was spit on for you. Jesus was whipped 39 times by the cat of nine tails. He, he was given a crown of thorns that was placed so hard down on his brow that, that it began to bleed. He, his body was broken for you. And scripture tells us that that was important. Matter of fact, all the way back in the book of Isaiah, before Jesus even appeared on the scene, hundreds of years before that, the, uh, Isaiah prophesied that, that he, being the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And so Christ's body was broken for us. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the broken body of Jesus. We are remembering everything that he went through on your behalf. And we need to be reminded of that every day because what Jesus went through for you is what you deserved. But he took the punishment himself. He didn't just take your death. He took your scorn. He took 
your pain. He took your suffering. He took the beating that you deserved and had it applied to himself. And so the first thing that we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper is we are having a memorial and we're remembering the broken body of Jesus. And make no mistake, he was broken for you. The second thing he tells them that they're remembering is not only is it a memorial of the broken body of Christ, but he tells them to take the cup and that the cup would represent the new covenant and it was representative of the shed blood of Christ. Now, why is the blood so important for us to remember and why is it something that we need to memorialize? Because without Jesus' shed blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If, if Jesus didn't shed his blood, we would all still be lost in our sins. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 talks very specifically about Jesus' sacrifice. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, particularly in verse 22, it makes this statement, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Shed blood goes, predates Jesus all the way back to the Exodus and the law and being ceremonially clean. And the only way to be clean and to be forgiven was through this shed blood. And then it was always as a forerunner in the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament where there would be a perfect sacrifice that would be offered not every year over and over again, but there would be this perfect sacrifice that would shed his blood once for all. And that's the emphasis of Hebrews starting in about chapter 8 and running all the way through chapter 11 is basically the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he shed his blood for you. And the reason why he had to shed his blood for you is because bloodshed, scripture, Paul says it like this in Romans 23, for the wages of sin is death. That is the result. That is the end result and the requirement that it comes to sin is death. And we all have sin in our life, so there had to be shed blood for our sin, and Jesus shed his blood for us. He became the literal Passover lamb. His blood is what covers our hearts, allowing the punishment of God to pass by us. And some have said, why is he called the Passover lamb? Well, if you go back to the story of the Exodus in, in the book of Genesis, the, the last plague on, the, on Egypt, the tenth plague, was the death of the firstborn son. And the only way the Jews were going to escape this death is if they had the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled above their doorposts. And what they did is they went out and found a lamb. It had to be a very specific lamb. could have no spot, no blemish, could have nothing wrong with it. Then they sacrificed this lamb. They took the blood of the lamb and they sprinkled it on the doorpost. And literally what happened when that death angel came through Egypt, um, he would pass over that house. If they had blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over that house. Now Jesus has become the permanent Passover lamb. And when that blood is applied to you, death angel will literally pass over you. That's why Jesus would say, and we've talked about this a lot here lately because we've had two funerals in our church. 
We've talked about this a lot, but that's why Jesus would say in John chapter 5 and John chapter 11 that those who are in Christ will never taste death. Why? Because death will pass over you. Because at the moment you become a Christian, you pass from death to life, and you will never experience death. Your, your body one day may shut down. You may stop breathing. Your heart may stop beating, but who you are will never die in Christ. You will immediately go from here into the very presence of God, and that ought to be a good thing. It ought to be a positive thing for us to think of that death will never touch us. Thank God for that. But it's not because of what you do. It's because of the shed blood of Jesus that's been applied to your account. And so when we come to this place of partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are very simply and very clearly remembering that Jesus was broken for you and that Jesus shed his blood for you, becoming the permanent Passover lamb for you. So the first thing that the Lord's Supper is is a memorial. The second thing that he says that it is, is not only is it a memorial, but it's a proclamation. If you look in verse 26, he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, that word proclaim is a very interesting word uh, in Hebrew, in, in, in the Greek, and it literally means, uh, let me pull it up real quick because I had it a second ago. Um, gotta love technology. But that word in the Greek literally means to, to publicly proclaim or pronounce or declare or announce or make known. And so what he's saying is, is when we partake, we are publicly announcing, we are publicly declaring, we are publicly making known Jesus' death. And so what we are doing has very deep significance, not only for us, but it's actually a symbolic step for the world to see. It's a way, it's actually another way of translating the word preach. I've heard people say, I'm not a preacher. No, we're all preachers. Every one of us are preachers. Now, you may not be a pastor, but you're a preacher. And one of the ways you preach is by partaking of the Lord's Supper. Because when you partake, you are publicly announcing Jesus' death and that it's been applied to you. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe, if you don't believe that he was broken for you, and you don't believe that his shed blood is what, the, what is given the power to save you, then why partake at all? What's the point? If it's just, if it's just something we do, then why do it? it needs to, we need to remember, no, this is not just something we do. This isn't just a, a pastime of the church. This is a very significant time where we are remembering the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, and we are proclaiming that to each other and to the lost world around us when we partake of it. So it is a memorial, and it is a proclamation. But the second thing I want you to see this morning is not only is it a memorial and a proclamation, it's to be done with self-evaluation. In verses 27 and 28, Paul issues, in my opinion, one of the greatest warnings to the church. Now, I've heard, if you've been with us in our book of Hebrews study, 
We've looked at already at one of the verses people try to use from the book of Hebrews that, that try to maybe point to the fact that you can lose your salvation and this, and we've talked about that in our study in there. And, and we've talked about how that's not really what he's saying and all that different types of stuff, but, but there's no mistaking what Paul tells the church here. It's very clear. And so I don't want to tell you what I think. I just want to tell you what Paul thinks. Now, you got to remember, the Corinthian believers were guilty of, and he had already addressed this in their letter, they were guilty of division, they were guilty of heresy, they were guilty of self-deception, they were guilty of selfishness and indulgence, uh, they were guilty of drunkenness, and they were guilty of neglecting one another. Okay? That's what he's already addressed in this letter, and he's already pronounced them guilty of that. So Paul tells them here that before they take the Lord's Supper, he tells them that they needed to examine themselves and see if there's any wickedness or unconfessed sin in their life. And he's instructing them to take action, to be in right standing with the Lord before they partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, again, I don't want to tell you what I think. I just want to let you hear again what Paul says. Listen again what he says, starting in verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person first examine himself, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, here's, here's the very pointed warning. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. So he tells the church flat out that one of the reasons why so many of them were sick and ill, physically sick and ill, and while so many others had died, was because of their refusal to examine themselves to take the Lord's Supper, and they were doing so in an unworthy manner, and doing so made them guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. Now, no, he doesn't say that they lost their salvation. He just says that they were guilty of the body and the blood of Christ, and for that reason, many were sick and many had died. Now, am I saying that that is the reason why some people in the church die and why some are sick? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm also not going to say that that's not why some people are sick and not why some people die. I'm not God. I don't know. All I know is what Paul says. And that's a big enough warning for me as a pastor to say, before we partake, we need to examine ourselves. And it's also one of the reasons why you'll never see me as a pastor tag the Lord's Supper on just any old regular normal worship time. Because before you partake, you are, you are symbolically remembering the most precious gift the world has ever seen. And you're proclaiming the, the greatest message that's ever been heard. And to do it adequately needs to be done in the right spirit. So how do you examine yourself? Bigger question, how do we become... How do we get into a position to take the Lord's Supper adequately? Because if you're like me, you mess up all the time, and you're a sinner a lot. And, 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 if, and if sin is what makes me take unworthily, 
How can I ever get into a position to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? How does that ever get there? By the blood of Christ. By remembering what John said to the church in 1 John 1, 9, which is to the church. Said it a thousand times. I will say it again. 1 John is written to the church. And he tells the church in 1 John 1, 9, if we, or if you, or if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The truth is that even though we are Christians, we've been saved once for all, praise be to God, we still have problems with the flesh every day. And that flesh, when it's evident in our life and it's not been confessed, it hinders our relationship with Jesus. Let me rephrase that. It hinders our fellowship with Jesus. I've got three children. There's nothing my children can do that's ever going to cause me to love them less. But there are things my children that can do and have done that can cause our fellowship to be strained. They're still my children. And I still love them. But our relationship's not where it needs to be. What do you think my children need to do when that relationship is strained due to something they've done that's wrong? They need to repent of it. They need to confess it and then turn away from it. And then our fellowship is restored. Our relationship never changed, but our fellowship can be restored. It's the same is true with us and God. Our relationship with God has been settled, but our fellowship with him can get off and can get strained. And so the only way we can ever take the Lord's Supper in a proper way is to do so with self-evaluation and allow God to show us in our lives where we have wronged him or where we've fallen short. And then we need to confess it in our lives the way John says in 1 John 1, 9 to do. Matter of fact, I like the way David said it in Psalm 139. This was a prayer of his, and I think it's a prayer we should do. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to evaluate ourselves. And the best way to evaluate ourselves is say, here I am, God. Show me where I faulted you. Show me where I've failed you. Show me where I've let you down. And he will. And what you do at that moment is you take what he's sharing with you, you confess that before him, you repent of that, you ask him to forgive you for that, and then you are brought back into right standing with him, and then you can partake of the Lord's Supper in a meaningful way. So once we understand that we are partaking of something serious, it's not haphazard, it is something serious, where we are remembering the greatest gift that's ever been given, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, and we're proclaiming the greatest message that that broken body and shed blood was done for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins and can be done for you as well if you would repent of your sins. So we're proclaiming the gospel to the world. And then when we get ready to partake of it, particularly, we come before the Lord and we say, okay, Lord, here I am. Show me. Show me my iniquity. Show me my sin. 
then we confess it. Then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then we can partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner.